Arguably, the most overlooked part of video game production exists in music and sound design. Some music makes you laugh, some makes you cry, some is weaved into the game itself through decisions you make, and some is the game itself. But just how did we get from the nostalgic computer sounds of yesteryear to the sweeping emotional orchestral scores of today? Welcome back to another episode of Retconned, a podcast of assorted geekery. I'm Rick Marshall, and this week we dive into the world of bleeps and bloops. Back in the 1970s, early video games had arrived, and although primitive by today's standards, they gradually grew in complexity and scope, both in terms of gameplay and sound and music. Dr. Neil Lerner, a musicologist at Davidson College in North Carolina, spoke with WAMC's Lucas Willard about the influences on the sound of early video games. People argue a little over what the first video game was. There's a fair amount of consensus that it was probably Space War in 1962. The first coin-op video game Computer space is the first one. In computer space, it, it had advertisements for the exhibitors and stuff. I mean, about the different sounds, the rocket and thruster engines, the missile firing, the explosion sounds, um, the sounds of combat. But it didn't have tone. It had white noise. So it was just white noise that made these engine sounds and explosion sounds. So it changes a year later in 72 with Pong. And this one does have musical tone. So Pong has three pitches. It's very basic. It's very limited pitch. Uh, it's got that octave pitch between when, when you hit the ball and volley it back. And if you miss the ball, it plays the half step higher. So it's very limited. The designer was trying to, he wanted to make the effect of a crowd roaring in the background, but the technology was just too limited. You just couldn't do it. So three tones is all you get. Well, there's some other games in between Pong and Circus, but Circus is the first one I found that has identifiable melodies. So by 1977, that's where I started to find video games that had not just tone, like you have in Pong, but that have melodies. So string together tones to make melodies. And the melodies are, are pre-existing, familiar, famous melodies. What, what first caught my ear was here in the Chopin Funeral March. I was hearing dun, dun, da-dun, dun, ba-dun, da-da, da-da. Yeah, the, so the clown dies, uh, and when you clear out a level of balloons, that's when you get the sort of party music, the ta ra ra boom da 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 It's a music hall song from 1891. It was advertised with the sound in the songs. I mean, they were using this to promote it, and you can sort of imagine how, if it's there either by itself or with other machines, that it's kicking out these sounds that might draw other people in to find out what those sounds are. What I noticed in, in the melodies that, that Circus borrows and that some of the other early video game borrows, I realized that it went back to a couple of traditions that I knew. And one of them was that from studying early film, so early film from the teens and 20s, that if you looked at the, some of the, the manuals that told you how to accompany film, it would suggest things like the Chopin funeral march, if there's a funeral scene. Now, a lot of those same musical cues and suggestions come back in cartoons, in Warner Brother cartoons in the mid-century. And so that's part of my argument that I'm trying to come up with here, that I'm trying to support and develop, is that, um, that the Warner Brothers cartoons provide a sort of link to the early 20th century. So those cartoon scores are actually very much indebted to early film practice. Well, here's one, a, a game called Phoenix, which is, this was a Space Invaders derivative game 
So there are a bunch of things coming at you, and you have a ship, and you have to shoot and try to defeat them. And just like in Space Invaders, you, you can never win. You'll eventually be overrun. But when you clear the whole sort of level and go through the game, it, it'll then restart you. But when you finish it up, it gives you Beethoven's release. It's absolutely bizarre. I mean, it's totally random why that would appear there. This is where it again reminded me of early film. So one thing we do know about the people that would accompany early film is that they were sometimes just piano players in town or maybe a piano teacher. And we, we have some evidence that tells us that these people would sometimes simply, uh, they, would, they might just play whatever they've been practicing that week for something else. And that's one way, I think, to explain why we get something as random as Furalise appearing after you destroy the mothership towards the end of Phoenix. The other example that, that this is the one that actually made me realize it's connected to early film. Um, this is a, a little-known arcade game called Kangaroo from 1982. It's probably a knockoff from Donkey Kong, so it's a kind of platformer game where you have to navigate a character up a series of ladders and through a maze. And it opens up with a bit of Beethoven. And then it's constantly playing this 19th century U.S. march, the American Patrol march. It, at different points as you're going through it, it, it'll trigger different sounds like the Westminster chimes. And if you complete the level, it gives you some of Oh Susanna by Stephen Foster. On the one hand, it's like, wow, that's just completely surreal and non sequitur. Those things have nothing to do with each other. On the other hand, this would not have been uncommon in an early film accompaniment, where it was considered normal to, to borrow just randomly and freely from across traditions like this. So you do start to have stuff that's not borrowed. So in Space Invaders, you have a very simple musical score. It's simply four notes that are descending, just this four note, boom, 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 boom. Over and over, and as you shoot more of the Space Invaders, they move faster and the melody goes faster. And then with something like Centipede in 1980, you've got a pulse, but it's just a single pitch. It's just a bum, 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 bum. But every once in a while, you have these other things. So when the spider comes in, you've got this little melody just for the spider. And whenever the flea drops down, you get a high to low portamento. This and the end, I mean, the reason I think it's so important to study music and media like this is that it, I mean, if we know better how this music works and what it's doing, then we're savvier consumers, just in the ways that if we're seeing a campaign commercial and there's music going there, it helps to be able to have the ability to step back and say, well, wait a minute, why is that ominous minor chord sounding when I see the picture of the candidate's opponent? <laughs> well, that's a very basic example, but I mean, music is used all the time in commercials and campaign advertisements, in TV and video games and film. And, and so I, you know, I, I think it's really important to think about this stuff because it makes us better, better critical readers of it.
This has been Retconned, a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producers are Jessica Blaustein-Marshall and Patrick Garrett. I'm Rick Marshall. Make sure to give us a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really, really helps us in figuring out just what you want. And make sure to subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Thanks for listening.